Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next level. This is JVL here with my best friend, Tim Miller, and Amanda Carpenter sitting in for Sarah Longwell. So we had a pretty interesting week. I got upgraded. Yeah, what am I? I'm just I the got, well, third wheel I got here. Upgraded. So I'm trolling Sarah. Um, and of course, none of this will work <laughs> unless she listens to the show, which I'm not. Which she won't. I'm, I'm pretty sure she won't. I think Sarah only listens to shows that she's on. I think that's correct. That's and she's fair. camping right now. She's camping. I'm not going to make the obvious joke. So we'll just kind of let it sit for everybody to mull over. What's the joke? Well, you know, she's just in Maine camping. I think that's. Do you think she's wearing flannel? I do. I think it's an intriguing oh. vacation suggestion. See, I don't uh, get these. Is, listening to the Indigo Girls. No. Yeah. Exactly. Fingerless gloves. <laughs> so, uh, so over the weekend, for reasons that aren't quite clear to me, Trump World decided that they had turned the entire election around, and that if the race had been held, if the vote had been held this Tuesday, Donald Trump would have been elected president. Uh, this seems to have coincided with an actual close in the polls a little bit. Uh, if you look at Trump's favorable, unfavorable rating, uh, back in the beginning of July, he was net negative 15. Today, he's only net negative nine. And in the real clear average, we are back to Biden plus six, which may sound close, but is also where we exactly where we were the first week of August. So we're just back where we were. Naturally, this has led Republicans to go crazy with conspiracy theories again. So Trump goes on Laura Ingram's show on Monday. He says that Biden is being controlled by, quote, people in dark shadows. He says that there was a plane load full of Antifa soldiers coming to Washington, D.C. to interrupt the Republican National Convention. Uh, Later in the day, he starts insisting publicly that he has absolutely not had any mini strokes. Then Mike Pence issues a non-denial about not being able to recall whether or not he had been told to be ready to assume the powers of the presidency in November 2019 when Donald Trump was suddenly rushed off to Walter Reed. And also on Monday, so all of this, all these things are happening on the same day, Joni Ernst goes to a campaign stop and uh, says that she really doesn't believe any of the COVID numbers that are, are being bandied about because she says that the docs are being reimbursed at a higher rate if they diagnose COVID. So that's what they're doing. And she then, it's great how all of these Trumpers adopt the, the, the postures of Trumpism. So she says, I heard the same thing on the news. They're thinking that there may be less than 10,000 deaths that were actually singularly COVID-19. I'm just really curious. It would be interesting to know that. And so this is floating the Q-adjacent conspiracy theory that because there are only nine cases where COVID is the only morbidity listed on the death certificate, that there have actually only been 9,000 people killed by COVID. And uh, so this... All the all the excess deaths are just a quinky dink? Well, there are just other things. They're, they're really about... You know what? It, in, a, in a way, it's all of a piece with the George Floyd death. Right. Like the medical examiner said, well, he had diabetes. So <laughs> you know, we know why he Macabre died. Laugh. Uh, so this is on the one hand, this is the Republican Party thinking that it's in good shape. And so immediately stepping on its foot. And on the other hand, like this is the Republican Party now. And I. <laughs> To what extent do you think the conspiracy theory stuff 
is truly intrinsically part of what they are now uh, and is part of the appeal to the base? And to what extent do we think that uh, this is something that they will pay a price for electorally? Thoughts? I mean, at a, th- at a scale of one to a hundred, how much is the Republican Party ruled and governed by crazy conspiracy theories? Like a thousand. <laughs> Seriously, I, I say this seriously, and I have a theory that as a minority party with a base that for many years was sidelined from so-called mainstream media, this base got exceptionally good at creating narratives and driving messages into the mainstream from these fringe like perches, um, but had no capability to govern. And now that they're governing, they have nothing but these stories to fall back on. And that's really what's driving everything now. When you push everybody out of the party that has an interest in actually, you know, being in charge, this is all that you have left. And a, a person that you would think is somewhat reasonable, like Joni Ernst, right? She's she's not capable of governing on her own. She's just another one of these fall in line Republicans that follows the messaging from the top. And I, I didn't realize how unequipped so many people were to actually message and make decisions and be responsible for their own thoughts and actions. Um, so, so I guess that's a surprise how deep that well of doom and despair is. <laughs> uh, is it a surprise? Um, I, I, I've, I've been wallowing in a well of doom and despair for quite some time now. So welcome um, uh, to the well. Uh JBL, I guess the main thing I disagree with you on is that it has anything to do with the polling. And I just think this is a piece with what the party is right now. Um, This is who Donald Trump is at his core. I think that Donald Trump could be winning by 20 points in a historic landslide, and he would still be going on Fox News talking about uh, the Antifa Antifa super soldiers who are flying on Delta uh, to come to Washington. I, I, I just think that is his nature, and I think that it's infected everything. The weirdest, did just, the weirdest uh, thing is that the Antifa people did this before Delta got rid of the change fees. It is well. Delta has been a it little bit more, more better than the other airlines. I think about dealing with COVID also. So there's some, you know, they can spread out on, uh, along the plane and kind of menace more people that way. Whereas I think that United is packing them in. I, I did uncover the the truth of this though, um, uh, which wasn't very hard. But um, just as a quick aside, I, I I fired off this tweet and had multiple White House reporters contact me and say that I basically had the story right, which is that like you know some old donor republican maga boomer karen complained to the president about the people with tattoos and masks on the flight it didn't kind of occur to them that people wear masks on flights now uh and said that they they were pretty sure that it was antifa when really it was just kind of like people wearing black and masks and having tattoos and and they complained to delta and delta didn't care and so then they complained to their friend the president of the united states and and now here we are all talking about it so uh, um you know this is a man with access to all the intelligence in the world uh the best intelligence at his disposal and and this is what we're doing so i, I look I, I just think that is part of it and and i, I think that that trickles down to Joni. um you know there is this JBL, you remember this kind of blogosphere debate, Amanda, you too, uh, I presume, in the aughts about you know epistemic closure. 
we're worried about how the Republican blogosphere and the liberal blogosphere were separating themselves. And there was, you know, you weren't learning the truth because we had, you know, these closed communications channels. It's like that on steroids now. And Joni Ernst is a United States senator. And and she is getting her information about COVID from like random Facebook memes. I think. I, I think. I mean. I think this is just basically what is happening now. That like the Trump, you know, Q Gateway pundit, Fox News, OANN, um, information, you know, vortex has subsumed most of the Republican elected officials, besides like a small few who are intellectually curious and choose to read other things and then just don't talk about them because they don't want to be shamed by their by their colleagues. But does does Ernst really believe this or is this just the pose she thinks she has to take? Because I would have thought that any half serious Republican basically could have acted like Mike DeWine in Ohio, which is to say, but of course the difference is that DeWine has like an actual state to take care of and responsibilities right. and you know, like he can make decisions and Joni Ernst is just like any other commenter on the internet. Right. I mean, she could just say stuff. Well, let's stipulate, you know, she is a Senator. If she actually cared and thought there was some kind of fraudulent reimbursement action being made on a mass scale on by doctors, she has a way to look into that. I mean, she can get a meeting with any hospital administrator in the I'm not sure that's true, actually, Amanda. I think that JVL is correct. And that the job of a Senator now is just to be like, the most prominent internet commenter. I think that that's the whole job now. Like, can you get the most retweets and $5 donations from, from old, from old people? Isn't that basically the job? What I don't know. What, what are you talking about? Well, with, in an election, meetings? I'm talking in you've four worked times. In the, you've worked in the Senate, so I'm not <laughs> sure. They do, you do have meetings with, with people who know things. I thought it was just kind of a, a prominent retweet position. This was before Trump times, Tim. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a, hey, by the way, do I get bonus points for knowing that the entire epistemic closure debate was set off by Connor Friedersdorf? You know, I think I ignored all that because I was in my bubble. You were, you were epistemically closed at the time at, <laughs> yeah. in, at Red State? Yeah, town hall, Red State, uh, human events, so, Washington Times. Yeah. So this is the, do, do we think that any of this stuff actually percolates through to the 6% or 10% of undecided voters who were left? Oh, 100%. I, I've heard many regular people say that they think doctors are gaming the system to overdiagnose COVID for money. That's that's a conventional belief at this point. Yeah, and I'll take the Sarah role on this. For uh, I don't, I haven't done nearly as many focus groups as she has, but I, I sit in on them from time to time with her. And I, I, it's it's... It's astonishing the uh, amount of leash these voters give to the president on on the virus in particular, and um, because he's done I, so well, they think he's earned the benefit. I mean, of they, it's not it's not about doing well. I mean, really, what what it was that finally made them turn on him was like the you know like the press conferences went on and on, and kind of his lack of seriousness in dealing with it. Like, had he pretended to be serious, even if we had the same results? Like I think that he would basically, you know, have majority support for his for his response. Um, uh, yeah, what we hear from them is basically this was a, you know, who could have predicted this? This was a the China virus, and a lot of countries are doing bad. And oh, is it really as bad as people say? You know, whatever random conspiracy theory was on Facebook that day. 
I, I, I mean, that is just kind of the standard view. And, you know, obviously there are exceptions, you know, in every group, there are people that are taking it very seriously, people that are not taking it seriously at all. And people who are just not really, you know, sure about the facts. Um, and, and so I, I do think so. And I, and I think that it's a, there's a surprising and, you know, there's this draw to want to kind of be positive and this sort of want to get back to normal and all this that, that, that Trump benefits from, right. That you see it in the kind of college football debate. Yeah, I, I know a good number of people who, you know, traditional Republican voter types who are disconnected from the news and who are just annoyed by the whole COVID thing. Uh, they think yeah. it's going to be over any day now. Like, they'll ask me, when is this going to be over? Like, annoyed. They still have their, you know, weddings, take their vacations. They're not in it, uh, I think, largely because they haven't experienced uh, the up-close and personalness of death on a mass scale like people did in say New York. And it's just a big annoyance. Like make this go away. It's not that big a deal because it hasn't impacted them personally. And it's just, it, it's really hard CBS to reconcile. Poll. Yeah. There was a, do you remember this? There was a CBS poll about a week or two ago. I don't know if, if you and Sarah talked about this JVL, but um, it was what I think it was 57%. I'm going from memory. I think it was 57% of Republican voters said that the 180,000 deaths was an acceptable response something to that effect yeah like no, that's great like that's this is just like the standard view yeah. so yeah so anyway that's a long way of saying like yeah i think that joni ernst believes this believes that it's only nine thousand, and then also believes that if it's actually one hundred eighty thousand, like that's pro- that's fine too it's the best we could do i because I, 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 j- I think that she's basically the median republican voter and that's what they're and that's what they're saying and there is a big divide between you know the rural and big cities yeah, that's true on this front in a big city where you are always around people, I think you are forced to take this far more seriously because your chance of being infected is so much higher. But in rural America, where you know you can't see your neighbor, you're not walking on sidewalks, you drive everywhere anyway, you're just not closely impacted and you're just annoyed right, by the fact you have to wear a mask when you go to Walmart and no one is in the aisle with you. It's just, it's not the reality in that part of America yet. The one pushback to Amanda's comment about how if, a, if if this was affecting them more, they would change their mind would be the case of Herman Cain, who died of coronavirus <laughs> and then posthumously <laughs> tweeted that it was not a big deal. What is up with that? So what you guys are saying is that democracy doesn't work. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, we'll see. You know, we've got a couple months left. Uh, no, no, it's not that. There's no sense of that we're in this together. Right. There's no sense of the collective collective, you know, is a socialist word. Um, We're not looking out for our common man because we're all just looking out for ourselves. And until this thing is in your face and you can't breathe, can't get a test. And they're talking about sticking a tube down your throat to be on a ventilator. So say goodbye to your friends. It's not believable. That's great. Uh, all right. So we go from the COVID conspiracy theories and all that to the very fine people on both sides in Kenosha. Tim, you want to drive? I'm very, yeah, I'm very excited um, to, to, to bring some uplift to the podcast. No, I'm not going to actually do that. Um, I want to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse because uh, there has been a uh, – I talked about this a little bit on Charlie's podcast, but we didn't get to go into it as much as I would have liked – I, an alarming response on the right um, that that to 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 the Rittenhouse 
murder, self-defense shootings, whatever however you want to call them. Killing. Um, killings. killings. That's sure, a neutral way of killing. Yeah, the killings um, in Kenosha. And, and it ranges from... Uh, you know, there was, you know, one of the crazy uh, Congress, you know, uh, Q adjacent or maybe Q believing, you know, congressional candidates uh, tweeted this morning that we need more Kyle Rittenhouses and fewer Greta Thunbergs uh, because I guess like wanting to uh, protect the environment is is a problem and vigilante killings is something to be admired i i, I guess would be the way that you would um define that so you have that on one end of the scale uh, they, and it's not just the crazy you know congress people have no chance of winning this is like most of the fox primetime lineup as well has taken this position tucker laura ingram um, and laura ingram valorizing kyle um and then all the way over to you know, uh, even the more reasonable sides of the of the Trumpy, you know, or kind of anti anti Trump uh, kind of Republican commentary. I mean, literally, uh, commentary has been has been taking a position that you know this was you know self defense and defensible. Some of these other, you know, folks. Um, we, you know, I don't need to call everybody out by name, but I, I, I oh, just know. I've just been okay. well. I, I'm going to do one positive, nice call out, which is to, like. This it's so bad that Tim Carney at the Washington Examiner had to felt the need to write a column. Uh, I think it was this morning, maybe it was yesterday afternoon, that basically took the position that a 17-year-old should not be bringing an illegal firearm across state lines to a violent uh, uh, conflict, you know, to a violent you know, street, you know, uh, uh, street conflict um, that he has no involvement in. And that that was a bad idea. And like this sort of just very common sense view that you would expect would have like 90% approval across, you know, all, you know, races and creeds and, and political ideologies. <laughs> like the examiner had to sort of write this as a contrarian take from what you're seeing in the rest of conservative media where, where he's, you know, uh, either being, you know, valorized or at least strongly defended. Um and I, I'm just wondering, like, this is the thing that caught me off guard. Like, how, how, how did how did how did we get here with with Rittenhouse? And, and I guess maybe Zimmerman. Amanda, I'll put it to you. George Zimmerman. That's how we got here. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, JVL. Right. I mean, I the the, the weirdness. I know you're trying to throw to Amanda. I'm sorry, Amanda. No, no, no please just, interrupt. The, no, go ahead. I, I think could, right. I could see. So if more things than we know now were to emerge, I could very easily see my way to the correct opinion of this being, uh, you know, it it was probably something like reasonable self-defense and this whole thing is a horrible tragedy and we cannot convict the kid of first degree murder. Uh, this is much closer to either a manslaughter or an acquittal. Uh, but my God, what a terrible thing. We have to lower the temperature of the whole country here. I cannot see a way to uh, good on him. One conservative commenter who I think frequently writes for the Federalist uh, was cheering about how this kid had two scalps. On his, oh no, pelts. Maybe who it was pelts. Yeah. Jesse, who Jesse, who's the bad? Oh, Jesse Kelly. Jesse yeah, Kelly, or uh, yeah, two pelts, right. or two scalps. I mean, something unbelievably, unbelievably horrible. Uh, 
except that this is all the outgrowth of like, you know, there's, there's a straight line from Bernie Getz to George Zimmerman to Kyle Rittenhouse. And it is that, uh, when the right wing guy is killing the correct left wing boogeyman, then you have to cheer for it and you cannot regard it even as a justified tragedy. And I don't know. It's the most irresponsible thing literally in, in America to take that position because you are asking for more violence and more death. And I understand if that's how things are going to be on 4chan, but to have people with uh, two or three million viewers on television taking that position, even if they believed it, they shouldn't because it is unbelievably irresponsible and absolutely contemptible. I'm not saying that this kid should be tried for the death penalty. Again, I still think there are a lot of things we don't know. Uh, based on the available evidence, it sure looks to me like it was not justified, but uh, there certainly could be more things to emerge from it. But there should be no way to look at this except as a tragedy. And the, the this is like a weird analogy. But I want to talk a little bit. I think actually abortion. worse than a tragedy, though. It's it's a tragedy and a... Tragedies are usually mis- accidental. Yeah, a, mis- a, a very, very bad mistake in judgment call. Well, right, that's, that's what, what I mean. I mean, I Greek, I mean tragedy in the Greek sense. Like, you know, like, like somebody making a, not tragedy in the hurricane sense, but in the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Greek characterological sense, like, you know, somebody makes a decision because of uh, a set of circumstances and that, that decision leads to horrible consequences for others and himself. Uh, I, just to, very quickly, think about abortion, right? I mean, there are people, the reasonable position on abortion is that you can be for abortion or against abortion, but that everybody either way should look at an abortion as just a, a failure of the system, right? You know, a woman has been failed by society if she feels compelled to get an abortion. Now, whether this should be the the, the point of view, whether you believe abortion should be legal or not legal. Um, and yet there are people who are like super pro-abortion, who are like the shout your abortion. Yeah, abortion's awesome, right? And who's, oh God, who's the, the Lena Dunham? I think she was the one who a couple of years ago was like, yeah, I feel really guilty that I never got to have an abortion. And like yeah. those sorts of things are like crazy and yeah. evil and disgusting in the same way that the, yeah, he went and killed him a couple lefties. It's just crazy, crazy and evil and disgusting. There. Hey, just really quick, Amanda. I know I catch it, but I, I want to, we've avoided the president. So I want your take on everything JBL said, but I also want your take on the president. Here, Here is the president's comments on Kyle Rittenhouse. I guess he was in very big trouble. He probably would have been killed. It's under investigation. So that's his self-defense defense. That's yeah. what he's going for there. Yeah. JBL is right on this can be traced directly to George Zimmerman, but in the sense, I mean, that was kind of a one-off isolated event that became national. But I think we should be more focused on the mass violence in the form of protests that has been on a slow boil since day one of Donald Trump's presidency. Um, on his inauguration, you saw Antifa was in the streets, did a lot of damage inside D.C., uh, vandalism and the like that was largely brushed over. And I'm not saying to justify both sides of this in any way, sure. but we have to recognize that this has been on a slow boil for a long time. Then we had Charlottesville. And how many videos have you seen over the summers of far left people and far right people warring in the streets? 
this been happening at a widespread scale? And it's like, we haven't paid attention to it. What happened in Kenosha wasn't something that occurred out of thin air. People have been organizing and building towards these kind of confrontations for years now. And if you want to know how bad stuff happens centered around an election and politics, this is it. You have armed people showing up in the streets in Midwest cities ready to fight. And I, when the president says things like that, well, self-defense, well, that just eggs on more people to go do it again. Because there are a lot of people, a lot of people looking to fight. And once people start showing up with guns, it can be a peaceful protest until one person thinks they saw something, right? They think somebody's coming after them and a gun goes off, then three guns go off, and then you have a war. I I feel like this sounds dramatic, but this is how it starts. It has started. It is starting. Yeah, look, there's no, I mean, no responsible person. I mean, it's just, just imagine how irresponsible it is to be cheering on the guys in the MAGA trucks to drive into the cities, uh, to, to, be, to be saying that, you know, it makes sense that, that since the cops are doing their job, we need, you know, vigilantes to fill the void, as Tucker Carlson said, uh, you know, for the president to not just clearly say to his supporters, we do not want to escalate this. I mean, that's how you take the moral high ground here. I, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I sort of reject the notion that there's this like Trump and Biden comparison because, you know, none of the looters are, are like big Biden stands. But, you know, um, you also don't see any Democrats out there saying like, you know, yeah, they deserve it. Like, go, you know, go loot. Try to go loot MAGA neighborhoods. And, and you know, to the extent that there are, are lefty commentators on Twitter saying that, they're, 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 they're gross and despicable. Um, but none of them were big Biden, Biden people. So, I, I mean, this should just be a fundamental principle that, that in this situation, when there are bad actors acting badly, what you want to do is lower the temperature, not increase it, and sending 17-year-old kids with long guns into the fight is only going to increase it. I mean, I feel like we're, we're being crazy to even have to have to discuss this. And, and hey, Tim, yeah. I, I, we interested in your take on this. Obviously I think we all would agree that it was good that Joe Biden came out and gave that speech, which condemned violence in unequivocal terms. Yeah. But as a political leader, wouldn't it be more impactful if Bernie Sanders gave that speech? You know, I haven't been following what Bernie's been saying that closely, so I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, you know, uh, just in terms of who who the people are in the streets. I mean, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, are Bernie they Bernie Sanders supporters? Street, yeah, he yeah, sure. And condemned it. I I think he would do it in a heartbeat if somebody just asked him. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I I think that my, my my take is that most of the people in the streets are not really within the Democratic. Um, you know, primary population. Like, I, I don't think that like there's a ton of overlap between the sh- the crowd at Bernie rallies and the people who are lighting fires in buildings. I, is there some overlap? Sure. Is there more overlap than with Joe Biden? Certainly. Is it a concentric circle like it is with the guys in the MAGA trucks that have the Trump flags on it? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, sure. I think that Bernie should should say it, and I think that in general, you've seen um, from the left. Uh, uh, 
a lack of moral clarity on this. Like when you see the silly thing, like Chris Murphy deleting his tweet that, that condemned looting because it like showed some false equivalency with murder. Like uh, we're, everybody's intelligent. Like we can all read a tweet that says that murder is bad and looting is bad and recognize that both are bad and that murder is worse. Right. Like, the, like, uh, like that is, shouldn't be that controversial and to have to delete that I think shows this shows that certainly there is some reticence on the left to call this out that there shouldn't be. But uh, you know, at the same time, you know, everybody can only do what they can do given the circumstances. And given the circumstances, I think what Joe Biden did was exactly right, and what Donald Trump did was exactly wrong. <laughs> and so, I, I just think it's as clear as that. But I, I do, I do want to just say really quick, unless JVL, you have something on that, I want to go back to Zimmerman. Yeah, well, no, I just want to say one thing, which is that we are living in crazy town because the very fact that we're having this discussion is is nuts. There is no other political figure in the recent America history, recent American history, who had they been president, wouldn't have just as a matter of course, gone and condemned. Ted Cruz would have condemned it. Uh, Rand Paul would have condemned. It. I mean, just take, take your pick. Every person, 2015, who, Ted Cruz, every person who, <laughs> no, well, I'm saying take Donald Trump out of the universe, right? But if the you point is, Thanos Donald him out. Trump- like it, it, everything has changed because of Trump and it is Trump himself, which has made us come to this insane reality. So but here's the thing. Core, don't Donald Trump believes these people are his guys. They're the only ones carrying his flag. That's his base. He's never going to cross them. He didn't cross them on Charlottesville because I think it, wouldn't you guys agree? He views those as his backup team. hundred percent. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the most, it didn't get as much attention because it wasn't as like shocking, but one of the things that Miles Taylor said when he came out that was, I think, pure Trump was during one of the hurricanes in a meeting with Trump, you know, he saw on cable or something, some interview with a guy in a MAGA hat, you know, saying that he was batting down the hatches. And Trump in this meeting with his, you know, FEMA or whatever was like, those are my guys, like Trump guys ride it out. So if I go out there and say that people should evacuate, then I'm sending the wrong message to my guys. It's just like, yeah, I mean, he thinks that like the most irresponsible actors in every setting are his people. Um, I mean, we could spend some time to shrink on that. Yeah, I mean, probably, yes, he is. No, I mean, this is from his from his perception, though. He's right. The crazy people are all Trump people. Like it isn't like, you know, he's not making this up. That's right. And so this is where I want to get back to Zimmerman, though, because while I do agree with your point, JVL, that that every other responsible politician um, in recent memory would have condemned Rittenhouse, condemned the looting and and, you know, would have done what is possible to to lower the temperature. Absolutely. Everybody. Um, and that's the, you know, the thing here is that like there's this whole like, oh, the elites have been bad. The establishment's been bad. Well, I, actually, I think what we've learned is that the elites and establishment were actually, you know, bumpers on some on the extreme views of some of um, uh, their constituents. Um, but Trump has ripped those away. And unfortunately, all of these guys have, have gone with him. But 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 one thing I think that, that just came to me that I had to mention when you when you both mentioned Zimmerman was. It just is another reminder of like the blindness that I had. And I think the intentional blindness towards some of the despicable things that were happening on our side and that were bubbling up from the ground up. Um, And and I I obviously, you know, was 
was just completely grossed out at the time by people, you know, who were defending Zimmerman, but I didn't, you know, think it was representative of something really larger. I just thought it was like Charlie likes to say the recessive gene, but you know, I mean, Ben Shapiro, right. Who's now on the supposedly more responsible side of MAGAism, um, was was a, a very prominent defender of of Zimmerman and said very gross things about Trayvon Martin. This was the standard view on Breitbart, who's you know then chairman became the chief strategist to the president of the United States. And so, I, I just I, I anyway I just I just do think that like even now even after four years of this, I continually kind of get remo- get shaken out of the fact that like this really shouldn't be surprising. This was here the whole time. All Trump did was kind of rip off the, the, the sort of elite bumpers that were kind of protecting, um, you know, the people, the, the worst impulses of, of a lot of people in the commentary and in the, and in the party base. On that sad note, do you want to move to the next topic? Yeah. Fun times. Um, well, I think what is important to talk about, and you guys push back on me because I, have this discussion with other conservative friends who vehemently disagree with me in the fact that Facebook is evil and the driver of a lot of this mainstream conservative media, Fox news, you know, name whatever prominent web outlet you want takes its cues now from the fringe on the internet. You can see this in Tucker Carlson's talking points, which he's had to fire writers for and Facebook is the driver of so much of this discussion and the way that its algorithms are designed specifically in chat rooms, which do radicalize people. There's been many studies on it. I highly recommend the New York times podcast series rabbit hole and how this works where someone just maybe looking for, you know, mothering communities gets in a group and quickly gets channeled down an anti-vax bleach cures group, because that is what the algorithm tells Facebook gets the most engagement. So that gets recommended and people get sucked down these holes. Um, Also happens with a lot of militia type of stuff. And there have been numerous crimes linked to these chat rooms on Facebook. And so, you know, say what you want about political discourse, but when it comes to chat rooms and organization that leads to direct harm of individuals, I, I think, Facebook has to be held to greater account. And Zuckerberg's out on this as always, well, I'll come to Congress and I'm open to regulation. Just tell me how to be regulated. But the fact is he has numerous policies that his whole corporate structure has agreed to that they never enforce. And when they do, it's on a very selective, reactive basis. The fact, you know, you read a story every few days about, oh, we took down several hundred QAnon groups or we shut down this group or the ad. And I just keep wondering, why does it get to that point where something bad has to happen first before you look back? And there's been a number of reforms that have been suggested. One that I think is eminently practical is once these groups reach a certain threshold of, say, 5,000 people, it becomes public so people can see what's going on. But I just keep going back to Facebook. And when you talk to people who work there, who are speaking out, they are livid. There have been so many people that have walked off the job there saying, I feel so responsible for what we did and what we saw, and I have ways to fix it. But no one no one wants to engage on this issue because they're so afraid of being anti-free speech. 
take it, Tim. Yeah, I well, so uh, firstly, um, I did used to consult for Facebook, so just FYI, uh, there's a disclaimer. Okay. Um, uh, I um, I don't anymore. Uh, I um, look, I agree with you that the radicalization that is happening online is a problem, and that and that. Um, uh, our, our people in Washington don't want to deal with it, um, particularly this administration doesn't want to deal with it. And I think that Facebook is absolutely culpable. I think that YouTube, uh, for some reason, like does not get the same um, attention and magnif- yeah, magnifying glass. But yeah, I think that when I've talked to reporters who are in the white nationalist kind of beat, um, you know, they say they hear time and time again that that, uh, that radicalization happened through YouTube and through the same kind of algorithm algorithm um, uh, f- funnel that you were just talking about. Um, I think that there is a lack of interest in because of the free speech argument, like you're saying, and because of what we've been saying about the Trump administration, not wanting to piss off their own people of cracking down on domestic, um, uh, you know, terror, you could really call it domestic misinformation. Uh, you know, I think this, again, has been the testimony from, you know, the DHS people that we've been hearing from that are coming out of the administration that, you know, my, my friend Peter Hamby did an interview with, uh, with Lindsey Graham the other day. Um, on snap and he asked him you know why don't we treat the q and maybe not maybe not q but some of the more radical white nationalist groups online conversation the same way that you treat radical islamic terror conversation after 9-11 and 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 graham didn't have a good answer to that because there isn't a good answer um you know, the government has to have a role here. And so while you're right that Zuckerberg uses that as an excuse, it's also true. Like the, the DHS and the FBI, like the, if, if we're going to be serious about rooting it out, like the government has to play a role. Facebook is ungovernable. I mean, you know, it's kind of a running joke that, you know, any comment section is a cesspool. You know, if, 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 you know, look at what happened to Craigslist, which was unmoderated. Any unmoderated forum online, like, descends into a cesspool of human waste, like, within, within you know, a, a few months. You know, it's just exponential growth of, like, disgusting comments and trolling and porn and violent rhetoric and every, everything under the sun. Anything that's unmoderated. Facebook is scale of, uh, you know, is that times a gazillion, right? So it is on, it, it, it is unmoderatable. Like what are the, there are a lot of potential reasons to, you know, ways to fix that. I mean, they try to self-govern to some degree, um, but like they, it, they're just not capable. And so, you know, once you have that as the accepted basis, the you know, then you have to look at the various remedies for how to, how to deal with it. But but right now we're in a time where the platform is ungovernable. So is YouTube, by the way, um, yeah. and and the government doesn't have any interest in in dealing with that because they don't want to be seen as being as as, as um, uh, cribbing free speech. Uh, and so yeah, uh, th- this stuff has been allowed to fester and grow. So are we being ruled by algorithms that go down to our most base vile nature. I don't know about that. I think that anonymity um, yeah. uh, uh, brings out people's most base vile nature. Is the honest truth. I mean, I think the easiest way to fix all this stuff is to force people to be real. Yep. Uh, in, a, in every outlet, um, but you know, the, uh, obviously, the platforms are are unwilling, to, uh, uninterested in doing that because that limits their size. 
um, and their ability to grow. And people like to comment anonymously. There are some obvious free speech, you know, value to speaking anonymously. But but the best way to to crib it is to is to let is to bring people out of the shadows. I mean, the worst thing to be done, which is what's being done right now on every platform, is to like limit political advertising. Like yeah. the yeah. bad actors on these platforms are not like Joe Quimby for mayor. Yeah, you know, his campaign like, yeah, that, like that's not it. The bad actors are uh, anonymous, you know, of, officials, domestic and international. We just had this morning and, and JVL, maybe you can weigh in on this if you want. Um, the, you know, John Carl at ABC broke the story that the, the, the DNI did not want to tell Congress about the fact that they discovered that, that there were, again, Russian actors on our platforms pushing the message that Joe Biden is, you know, mentally deteriorating or whatever. This is obvious to anybody who, like, looks at the Twitter mentions of a prominent anti-Trump individual. Um, but, you know, it's something that should be dealt with. Uh, the Trump administration doesn't want to deal with it because they think it helps them. Um, they don't want to deal with it because their biggest supporters, you know, cry free speech fouls anytime somebody like gets suspended for the platform for saying the N word. And, you know, and, and so this is where we are. So nobody does anything. So if I could snap my fingers like Thanos and make Facebook and YouTube disappear, I would do it because I think they are on balance forces for bad in our society. But we probably can't do that. Uh, is I think definitely of, can't. I'm going to say definitely can't. Um, so, but is there a way to do something? I mean, okay. Take out, is there a way? What if the answer is to outlaw the algorithms, right? To say that, like, look, we're just not going to let people uh, algorithmically drive X types of behavior. And this is something that was floated around in the finance world for a little bit about the flash traders. Mm -hmm. um, and then they eventually decided, no, we're just going to let them do it. Uh, but once you, once you turn things over to the machines, that is a difference in kind. And it is not clear to me that society has an absolute duty to simply accept that, right? I mean, it is one thing to say Facebook needs to let people publish whatever they want to publish uh, because this is a free speech thing. That is, It is not clear to me that you also have to allow Facebook to use an algorithm to surface things in a particular way. That, that does not seem to have any free speech uh, aspect to it. And if if this society decided we wanted to not allow companies to use algorithms to drive the surfacing of speech, we could do that. No. But then people would have to make a judgment call. And from what I've observed, corporate communication leaders do not want to make that judgment call and insert themselves into the process and be responsible oh, for absolutely. whatever outcome will be. And so absolutely let, let the robots do the work. And that's what's happening. But, you know, what Tim mentioned, I, I am very big on verification thresholds. Once a group or an influencer crosses a certain threshold and, you know, we could talk about what that should be, whether it's thousands or millions. At that point, you need humans to start doing the moderation work. Yeah, it's an interesting question that I haven't really thought that much about JVL. So I'm just kind of shooting from the hip. Um, I, I do. um I just I have a natural uh, still um, uh, uh, 
still retaining i haven't completely like moved to the dark side of the left and so i just have a natural cringing at the idea of of a federal government response to this and feel like there's kind of a life finds a way negative reaction that would probably uh bubble up um uh, as well and I, and i think that you know these companies um which have a lot of bad, uh, you know, uh, deleterious uh, um, effects on society, no doubt, you know, also have you know, created massive wealth for society and have allowed, you know, driven growth uh, in this country amidst, uh, I think, a lot of struggles in other sectors. Um, and so, you know, we shouldn't just throw that away. And I think you a know, lot of that is based on on their uh, on kind of their proprietary I, algorithm. Yeah, please can I push ahead. back on push, this? Please push because back on Because I think that that is generally true of technology, but 100% not true of Facebook. Uh, I, I look at Facebook as a weird, a weird thing that happened because of when and how it happened and then reached essentially monopoly status for Being what it is. Girls wasn't a good origin story. And that it... it <laughs> If if Facebook disappeared tomorrow, there would be almost no consequences to the economy, right? All, all that would happen, all of the money which flows to advertising to Facebook would then flow elsewhere through like Google or other than you know, uh, DoubleClick and different ad services. It's all it is is an advertising platform. And all of the functions people use it for, they have a dozen other tools that they could use and they would go to their other platforms and you would simply not have a dominant monopoly player in the space. You would have people distributed among like seven or eight different kinds of social networks. You would have some people on Insta, some people on LinkedIn, some people on Twitter, some people on Reddit. And that Facebook is absolutely non-essential to any of us. If Amazon disappeared tomorrow, uh, like the country would grind to a halt, right? It would take months. Right. If, no, it would take months, if not years, to to recreate a bunch of things. If Google disappeared tomorrow, we wouldn't know quite what to do. We would eventually find workarounds. Other other companies would emerge to fill niches that Google had been occupying. Some of the third tier players, like Bing, would expand to take on that role. But like the economy and and our real world behaviors would have to change to accommodate Google disappearing, right? Or Amazon disappearing. Nothing would change if Facebook went away. Facebook adds nothing net net. I disagree a little bit because I do know a number of people that operate small small businesses over Facebook in the form of like refurnishing wood projects and putting them in the marketplace. I mean, th these are small one person type businesses. They're not net drivers of the economy, but I, I think we can have it all with Facebook. I mean, it's an incredible tool for connection, but I don't think you have to sacrifice uh, having those connections with getting a QAnon Congress, <laughs> you know, yeah. the widespread fed of fake news, which Facebook completely killed local media. They killed uh, between that and Craigslist. They killed the classified sections and advertising for a lot of local news sources. And there's a cost to that. And going back to verification, if you want to be a news source on Facebook, you should have an editor that can be contacted by Facebook. You know, they, you got to have real people behind this. And so, you know, I, I agree. I, I would turn off Facebook if I could, but I don't think we have to because there's, there's easy practical things that can be done so we can have it all. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, just as a matter of fact, I think Craigslist actually killed local news, but um, but Facebook certainly didn't help and and exacerbated it. I, I think that the news is really the area where it's the biggest problem. And while I'm just going to spend the day kind of mulling over uh, JVL's algorithm ban and 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 come up with a more thoughtful opinion about it in a few days, um, I think one thing that we they could we could definitely do, and and Facebook should just do this. I don't think this is a government job. Is completely disaggregate news and information from what the original purpose of the site was, which yes. was individual people sharing posts, sharing pictures, et cetera. And, and, you know, there is no reason that they could not be capable of having a separate feed that is in the most literal sense, a news feed that is, um, that, you know, that does have, the, you know, where they do hire editors and where they do take that seriously and where they do, um, uh, uh, essentially, you know, make it very clear that what you're looking at is actual as a news item versus what you're looking at is one of your friend's opinions. And I think by taking out all of the anonymous fake news outlets that are on the site and just taking them all out, like you have to be an actual real news outlet and cross a certain threshold and then having a news um, uh, sort of editing system and separate delineated uh, uh, um you know, feed for it uh, is something that they absolutely should do and could do um, and would not solve all of our problems in the country, but would at least at least solve one of the one of the major ones that is that is, I think, rightly, you know, you can point to Facebook as a leading as the leading cause of. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a pretty long show. I think we'll wrap it up with that. It was almost sunny for us. That was uh, by our standards. Like, was it? <laughs> well, we sort of finished by saying, "Look, we could f- we could we actually could fix, fix these things." As <laughs> yeah, saying we're all doing. Up with a consultant gig, so I can get paid lots of money to fix Facebook before JBL kills it. Wrong guy to ask on that one, but Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. So, Amanda, thank you for coming and sitting in Sarah's chair. We really appreciate it. You were awesome. Tim and I will be back next week, possibly with Sarah. Although maybe if you guys prefer Amanda, we just won't bring Sarah back. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye.